be one journalist of the year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's Jim Garrity. How do you like me now? Now that I'm on my She's a broadcast professional who's got pop culture by the throat, and she won't let go. Crank up the radio. Run for your lives, everyone. This is not a drill. She's broadcast pro Mickey White. This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by the David Brooks Superior Elitist Italian Sandwich Cafe. We have it all, not that some unwashed Philistine like yourself would understand or appreciate it. Try our padrino or pomodoro or ingredients like soppressata, capicolo, and a strigata baguette. Yes, we understand that actually just means Italian and French for bread bread. When you encounter that one friend with merely a high school education or even just a bachelor's degree, this is where you need to take them so they can finally glimpse how the other half eats. We deliver, but only to gated communities. At David Brooks Superior Elitist Italian Sandwich Cafe, we're ready for your order. Just submit your order along with your resume, SAT scores, and three letters of reference. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And Mickey, it's been a long absence. I am proud to say we're coming back, and you are coming back by just throwing a stink bomb into the conventional wisdom of everybody in the movie-going world who loves Baby Driver. Yes, and, and I am glad to be back, everyone. Hi, and I am so happy to be joining you guys to share with you some what I consider to be some valuable information because I feel like I was misled, Jim. So, I was misled by the world. <laughs> Our listeners know that I am someone who it takes quite a bit to get me to actually go to the theater to watch a movie, even though I love movies and I love watching them in the comfort of my own home as soon as they come out on On Demand or Netflix. Um, it takes a lot to get me to go see them in a theater. And this weekend, after all of the hype and review, and, and I, I really felt like I should share with our listeners, if they weren't familiar, the online hype that was going on with the movie Baby Driver. Now, to, for you to understand why I actually decided to get off my couch and go watch this movie, it's important to understand there's a couple key points. Um, Jamie Foxx is in this. Most importantly, Kevin Spacey is in this. I love Kevin Spacey. And a friend of mine suggested we go see Baby Driver. Kevin Spacey was in it. Jamie Foxx. I went online and read the reviews. Let me, let me help you out. Uh, the first review that pops up from Empire says, an awe-inspiring piece of filmmaking from Edgar Wright that plays out as a musical through the lens of an action thriller. The sweet, yeah, yeah. funny, weird. original, utterly original. You won't see any film like this this year. Okay. Um, yeah, let me help you out. All of the reviews that I read suggested that this was one of the best movies that had come out this year. Mm-hmm. If that is the case, that says not much about the movies that have come out this year. See, that's the thing. I've already seen almost every movie in the theaters, even the the new, stupid, uh, despicable me one, which is nowhere near as good as the ones that came before it. But I haven't seen Baby Driver because I haven't been moved to go see it by the talk about it. How I, I didn't even know people were praising it. It's that that spectral to me. It's it's a ghost. It's nothing. So you're saying people raved about it and it's horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> it is. I, I In trying to explain it to you guys, I, I want you guys to understand that, first of all, I got the impression that Edgar Wright wanted me to think of Reservoir Dogs, uh, kind of the gritty underside of the heist with the soundtrack background. Instead, I just thought that he wanted me to think of them. 
Instead, it came off very much like a musical. Um, I was told it was a heist movie. Yes, there were some heisty things involved, but I wouldn't call it a heist movie. I don't know. That, you know, usually with a heist movie, one heist is the major one, and you, it's your climax, and you have big planning and whatnot. That was not the case here. Mm. Um, you have a protagonist in Baby. Yes, that's the character's name, and it's really annoying. Um, for some reason, throughout the film, people keep questioning his name is Baby, and he feels the need to spell it. And for some reason, that also is like nails on a chalkboard. It's kind of like uh, Patrick Swayze, people saying, I thought he'd be bigger all the yes, way through Rhode yeah, Island. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> kind of like that without the cute charm. Um, so, yeah, and, and again, his the superhero in this case is, is a, I, I would describe him as a millennial superhero who runs around with an iPod and, and, um, and earbuds in all day long listening to his own musical soundtrack that he has created. He often sings along at times. And so at times, like I said, it feels like a musical. Um, it's very odd. And he's also considered by many of the other characters to be possibly mute. Huh. So with, without any dialogue, which tends to hurt, uh, your attempt to illuminate a character, he's, con- see, he's, you know, he's quiet. Doesn't talk to other people. Listens to his uh, uh, listens to his his earbuds and his iPod all day. Is this the, the problem here that we have? Not, I'm gonna, even going to say a millennial action hero, uh, Mickey. Is the problem is this is a millennial inaction hero? He <laughs> 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 spent the whole movie sitting. Well, in fact, the the all of the action, the only action takes place when he's behind the wheel when there's actual car chases taking place again a little mix of the italian job in here maybe some fast and the furious wannabe uh so it's weird because there's all of these different movies that it feels like they may have borrowed from but in no way did it make a complete film for them i'm also kind of wondering as we look at the leading man ansel elgort uh, which sounds like Scrabble letters kind of tossed together. Um, you're, you're, we're making a heist movie. Oh, who's in the gang? John Hamm. Everybody loved him in Mad Men. Ah, oh, Jamie Foxx. Oh, my goodness. Charisma personified. Who's the, who's the mastermind? Kevin Spacey. And who's, who's the story mostly about? Ansel Elgort. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you think the audience, like maybe you went in expecting a really cool John Hamm, Kevin Spacey, and, 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 uh, and, and Jamie Foxx movie, and instead, you spent the majority of two hours with Ansel Elgort. Sounds almost uh, like, sounds uh, like a, a bad guy in uh, Despicable Me. <laughs> yeah. there, there were, yes, absolutely. And, and, and there were just too many of those, oh, you thought they were dead, but they're not moments. Mm. I mean, to the point where John Hamm makes Jason look like he is an amateur. And so I'm not a big fan of that in the movies either. But like I said, I was so – I want to know, Jim, and I hope that some of our listeners have seen this movie because I'm dying to know what they saw that I did not. Well, here's my theory about, uh, about uh, movie critics. And, and I, I realize that, you know, on the one hand, they, they easily – oh, they're a bunch of snobs. They're a bunch of people who don't enjoy uh, real movies, et cetera, et cetera. No, no. On the one hand, for a little while in my college paper, I was reviewing movies. I was like, oh, this is great. And all of a sudden you begin to realize that if you're really a movie critic and you do it professionally, then you pretty much have to watch every movie that comes out, even the ones you, you have no, genres you have no interest in. Maybe you love sci-fi. Maybe you hate sci-fi. Maybe you like westerns, dramas, period pieces, 
uh, wacky comedy. You basically have to watch every single movie. And my guess is that you probably see a lot of them as becoming interchangeable cookie cutter. So you fall in love. If you're a critic who has to see every single movie, you just fall in love with anything that is original and different, regardless of whether it's actually all that good. Whereas the average movie, I think it's the average American watches about five movies a year. And they're perfectly happy to watch a couple superhero movies and maybe one Oscar bait uh, drama in the fall or something like that. But the, the viewing tastes of the average moviegoer and the average movie critic are just, you know, uh, this is just a giant chasm separating them. I, I want to believe that the majority of the people who watched the movie with me um, had similar reactions to me. However, I have to admit, and, and I went to a nice theater. I went to the Cinebistro, you know, the leather loungers. They bring you drinks at the seat um, to get my entire full viewing pleasure. There were moments in the movie where people were laughing and I was not. Now, when I say people, I mean like two people. <laughs> so I'm not sure. I was one of the Mickey. I was Yeah, I just don't know if it was like <laughs> I, I, again, I felt like I had been misled on it being an action comedy heist movie when that was not at all what it ended up being and again it felt very much like a musical. I felt like they wanted you to go out remembering the soundtrack, but unfortunately, um the friend that I went and saw the movie with is just trying not to remember it all. She said she's mentally blocking it out like we didn't go see it. <laughs> wow. See, as, as you're describing this, Mickey, this sounds like a really good future Trivial Tuesday contest. Asking people, what do they hate that everybody else seems to love? <laughs> right? Or, or, or your yeah. most alienated movie-going or, or uh, pop culture experience where everybody else raves about the book gushes about the show everybody else seems to love it and you're just like i'm there's something wrong with me i i'm i'm just you know this this is crap and it's the emperor's new clothes i'm the only person who recognizes that this is a terrible show or a terrible movie with a naked person naked king in it oh but mickey let's get to the important part what about the product placements uh, it wasn't even about the product placements for me dave the 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 key moment in the movie was at the very end where they played Baby Driver by Simon and Garfunkel. Was that where the, the, the name comes from somewhere? I didn't realize I it came from anywhere. I am now convinced that the entire movie is based on that song. Wow. Uh... He called Baby Driver music running through his ears. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you, the more, when the music started playing, I actually laughed. That was the first time I laughed in the entire movie. Because you um, realized the genesis of the whole project. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, um, and, and when Baby Driver played, like I said, there was a moment there. And my, my initial thought, which has been my continuing thought, was you should not write a screenplay based on a song. Especially you know, two minutes and 45 seconds radio version. Yeah. <laughs> it was a little much. Um, but yeah. Ed, I, I'm just picturing Edgar Wright going out drinking with Simon Pegg, his star in a bunch of his early comedies. They're out getting totally trashed. And at some point, Simon Pegg's, uh, you know, Edgar Wright's had a bunch and he's just feeling, he's feeling his oats. He's full. He's like, oh, I could take any song on my iPod and turn it into a giant blockbuster movie. And Simon Pegg says, you're on. Baby driver. And Edgar Wright is like, damn. All right. You know, and the stakes of the bet were too high. (laughs) I think that's completely possible based on what I just watched. (laughs) 
You could watch two hours of black screen while listening to Simon and Garfunkel sing Hello Darkness, My Old Friend. I don't know. I'm just trying. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Just... That's turned into the cliche, things are sad moment uh, song of that. You know. <laughs> the same way that Katrina and the Waves walking on sunshine. Baby Dave be- can grab a copy of Baby Driver and slap it on here for those of you who aren't familiar with it. Because I would recommend that you listen to the song versus seeing the movie. Absolutely. We are going to wrap this segment with the song by Simon and Garfunkel. Here's what it's all about. better that they didn't release this as a single. Hey, hey, Susie Q, what's cooking with you? Your teeth look whiter than new, new, new. My teeth aren't new, but my toothpaste is new Pepsodent. Get with it, kids. New package, new flavor, new formula, too, means brighter smiles for me and you. You'll wonder where the yellow went when you brush your teeth with Pepsodent. The new formula with IMP gets teeth much whiter. You can see it cleans the stains and film away while Irium fights tooth decay. You'll wonder where the yellow went when you brush your teeth with Pepsodent. The taste is new, so fresh and clean. That new taste really lasts. It's keen. And while it makes your smile a rave, it also makes your breath behave. So start going steady right away with Pepsodent. Get some today. You'll wonder where the yellow went when you brush your teeth with Pepsodent. 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 There really is a Kentucky Fried Chicken School. Yep, today we're making the Colonel's original recipe. What have you learned? Fresh chicken makes the best chicken. And that we use 11 herbs and spices. Oh, but that's the Colonel's secret. And special pressure cooking. (laughs) So it's always tender and juicy. Looks like you've learned to make great chicken. Only way to serve our customers right. It's so nice, nice to live. So good about it. So good about Kentucky Fried Chicken. You've got your sunrise, you caught a prize, you, you're making your Johnson, party nights, summer whites, you, your friends and your Johnson, rooster tails, water trails, you, your kids and your Johnson, Saturday nights, distant lights, you, your girl and your Johnson. You and your Johnson, a way of life for over 50 years. along with Jim Garrity. And when we last left you, our dear listeners, Jim was apologizing profusely for all the buildup that he had given and all the speculation and time that he had, well, 
and his words possibly wasted in leading up to the new Twin Peaks revival. And Jim, it's been a few weeks, so tell us, are are you still so completely despondent? No, I'm back off the ledge. Um, Excellent! Yes, you know, so yeah, everybody back on the bandwagon, come on, you know. Um, So when we last chatted, I think we'd seen about six episodes and man, those are those are six difficult, dark, dreary, extraordinarily slow-paced uh, uh, episodes there. And if there are 18 episodes in this run on Showtime, as far as we know, this is the last Twin Peaks we're ever going to get. Uh, there's no reason to think we'll wait another 25 years and get another season. Mm-hmm. So this this was kind of it. And so the, you'll point out is I was excited to see it come back, but also I. People who go back to the archives and will listen. I had a great deal of anxiety of wondering if it could still hold up. A uh, decent number of cast members have passed away in the intervening years. Uh, everyone looks 25 years older. Uh, and I was wondering if it was going to be the same quality. And those first six episodes, like, oh, my God, right. lightning in a bottle back in 1990. 1990 and uh, this is we're getting a David Lynch's dream journal. It's just a bunch of incoherent stuff in these first six episodes. Well, okay. if you subscribe to the theory that this is an 18-episode run and the first six episodes are Act 1, second six episodes are going to be Act 2, third, you know, Act 3 will be the last six episodes. Well, all of a sudden in Episode 7, things start happening. <laughs> it's like they press the plot button. And all of a sudden, mm. after, you know, um, plot, you know, like certain scenes and characters not being seen for two or three episodes at a time, all of a sudden, things are happening from scene to scene, and there's this sense of momentum and higher stakes, and people are making connections and stuff like that. So, um, I am uh, so I, I'm I'm much cheerier. And I want to ask you, Mickey, a couple of weeks ago, right before they did not ha- did not have an episode the Fourth of July weekend. Mm-hmm. Did, by any chance, did you happen to hear any of the hype over episode eight, uh, which was basically Dave Lynch's effort to say, "Oh, you thought the last stuff was weird? Get a load of this." Uh, what I remember specifically was Twitter exploding mm-hmm. and suddenly, you know, my mentions were blowing up with, with TGM's listeners and also with just in general people talking about Twin Peaks and how weird it had gotten yeah, that particular I, night. Okay, because I was able to watch it down with visiting my parents and uh, uh, they and, and Mrs. Campaign Spot are kind of asking, so how was it? And I'm really like trying to find the words because it wasn't. I, I, you know, I'll, Mickey, I'll leave it to you to compare it to an acid trip. Oh, wow. Um, but, but kind of that sense of like one of my good friends emailed me and said, I really don't know if I took something psychotropic last night because that's the easiest way to explain what I was watching on my television. Um, to summarize, probably a good uh, – oh, first of all, Nine Inch Nails, the band, is in it. Uh, and they play an entire song. It is basically just a literal performance of them at the local roadhouse saloon of the town, except the, the announcer co- announces them as, I'm, I'm quoting literally here, the nine-inch nails. The nine-inch nails. The nine-inch nails, yes, not just nine-inch nails. So you get this song, and then the, almost the remainder of the, pretty much the remainder of the entire episode is in black and white. So, and, yes, because, well, the nine-inch nails reminds me of, like, the Ed Sullivan show. Yes, it was, it was it was almost this deliberate corniness to the announcer having no idea who these guys were and, and letting them go off and do their uh, their shtick. I'm not a huge Nine Inch Nails fan, so I can't say I, I that meant uh, that particular performance meant meant anything in particular to me. But then we go and we basically we go back to the first testing of the atomic bomb. 
Uh, and David Lynch does his best in the entire special effects department attempt to show us here's what goes on inside a nuclear explosion. Just picture a, a slow tracking shot getting closer and closer into the mushroom cloud and then entering the mushroom cloud and then just going deeper and deeper into the point of, of detonation. Um, and it is very much like 2001. It is very much like uh, uh, Stargate. It is very much these, these you know, surreal... Uh, just shapes and lights and colors and intense tonal music and things like that. Um, and then we get a, uh, a more longer black and white segment in which creepy woodsmen come out of the desert, uh, apparently seem to hypnotize people, and frog bug type things crawl into people's mouths. Oh, just what you're expecting, right, Mickey? Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, therapy, and I approve this nightmare. You'll be having tonight. Yeah, this one, it sounds horrifying. Although. To be honest, even though I'm not watching Twin Peaks, um, and yes, apologies to everyone, I'm, I just can't do it. I'm trying. I haven't gotten there yet. Um, I have been watching American Gods. Mm, okay. Which, the only show that looks – only Twin Peaks can make that show look lighter, happier, and fluffy. Right? I mean it, it's, it's quite trippy. I don't know if you're familiar with the, the idea of it. Um, it's based on a, a book or a series of books rather and – American Gods is primarily dealing with the old gods, like really old Viking, Nordic-type gods um, mixed with Judeo-Christian gods, and then competing with what they're considered like the new gods, which is like technology Mm. and media. However, it's all set in a world that literally anything can happen, including people just coming back from the dead. Mm. And functioning. And you have real life, you know, leprechauns who are, in fact, six foot tall. Um, now, are, thus, you know, shattering the stereotype. Are people in the world aware of this or is this all kind of happening in, in secret or in the shadows of the world? It, it's, it's kind of hard to explain because normal people, for the most part, are left out of the discussion. Okay. This is this is primarily a discussion amongst the gods from their point of view, um, and the the people in the area are more or less kind of like background characters or mm. even marks to a certain degree. Okay. I, I was going to say I, I did give it a chance. Uh, I was sitting there with Mrs. Campaign Spot, and the opening ten minutes features Vikings stabbing out their eyes in a uh, attempt to to sacrifice themselves and bring favor from the gods and she was just it's like nope, graphic. nope 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 it, nope it's nope. graphic it makes true bud look like a children's piece ah. it's it's very very graphic like there's graphic sex there's graphic violence there's it there's just graphic imagery it, it's pretty graphic graphic <laughs> overacting yeah. <laughs> As you're describing it, Mickey, I'm just picturing uh, Dr. Seuss's True Blood. And uh, there was blood here. There was blood there. There was blood everywhere. I will not eat them, Sam. I am. <laughs> oh, God. Look. The green eggs and ham. Red eggs and ham. Yeah, the green eggs and ham would be a a pleasant change for this universe that's been created. Let's put it that way. Um, There are just some really messed up things that happen. And yet, I was three to four episodes in with no idea what was happening and couldn't stop watching. Interesting. All right. So, you know, know, I think that says something. Yeah. I I salute. Even if I don't get a chance, I certainly will not get a chance to watch it with Mrs. Campaign Spot around. I hope to catch it at some point. I admire 
um, any creative team that's willing to be that big and bold and uh, uh, daring in that context. I, I do, you know, my, my hope is, but there, are, there has been this sneaking sense in the uh, development of the Twin Peaks series that it began at its most esoteric and bloody and vague and confusing um, and that bit by one of my early, you know, I think a very fair complaint was in the opening episodes. We spent very little time in the town of Twin Peaks and very little time with the familiar characters. Um, bit by bit, episode by episode, we're spending more time in the town with familiar characters. And it's beginning to feel a bit more like the old show. I and mean, the, 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 the subtitle for the show is The Return. And they mean not only, I presume, the return of the series – but the show gradually returning to the setting and to what made it uh, such a huge hit 25 years ago. So I'm mm-hmm. hoping – this is what fans and I are hoping for. Uh, folks who were like me off on the ledge or, – I'm not kidding when I say this. There is an uh, online discussion group called the Profoundly Disappointed Twin Peaks Fan Support Group. Oh, wow. Um, and I may have checked in with them every now and then. And then the mood there is a little bit brighter. <laughs> we recognize, look, it's never going to be exactly as it was, but um, – but do you feel like at this point, like they're just leading you up to if it is getting better and you are starting to like obviously recognize some of the characters and some of the themes that are coming through? Is it is it a moment where you're like, now they're just setting me up to want more? Also, Jim, checking in with that support group, I have to ask you, did you use an alias? Do you have an avatar? And uh, <laughs> yes to both, but I'm not you, telling you what they are. Have you formed any long-term <laughs> relationships? I, <laughs> I mostly worked on this one, but uh, uh, I did. I did take the time to get an to get the uh, the avatar and log in and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I should say really you know, fair good point of of whether we're being set up to have the show end on yet another cliffhanger and drive us crazy for another 25 years. My my sneak. Would you music, want anything less though? Uh, what, no, okay, I, I'm perfectly prepared for something being unresolved. Like, elements of mystery are a big part of the show. But what I do kind of think is, is you know, kind of nagging at me. As much as people say, oh, it's getting better, so you feel better, right? Eh. It still means we wait, you know, like, there was probably about two episodes worth of activity stretched out over six episodes. And as mm-hmm. I probably mentioned in our last podcast, the original plan was to do a nine-episode limited series. And then at some point it expanded out to 18 maybe they had 18 episodes worth of good ideas mm-hmm. or maybe they didn't right. <laughs> maybe those first six ended up getting padded and uh you know look maybe they maybe, they, maybe they, those first six were based on some fan fiction no I, my fan fiction is nothing like that mickey oh <laughs> <laughs> that's why he needs the alias and the avatar there you go it's that guy <laughs> that guy uh no i is the, the, the other sneaking suspicion going on amongst friends is that the, the idea that David Lynch had maybe a half dozen ideas that he never quite developed into movies, but is always like that are interesting, uh, like going into the heart of a nuclear explosion and, and kind of you know imagining what it's like uh, you know, if you could survive witnessing the moment of, of detonation, but it doesn't really fit with Twin Peaks, so he's just kind of shoehorning uh, every idea he's ever had into it, and you know maybe by the end everything will tie together. Uh, but there's this kind of sneaking suspicion that this is sort of you – know, look, there's sometimes you can – you know you know how an author will sometimes print like a series of short stories yes. instead of a, a complete novel? Stephen King uh, does this all the time. Yeah, and if you had touted it as this, you know, these are, you know, David Lynch's semi-Twin Peaks related stories. Fine, okay. <laughs> but uh, no, that's not what we did, not what we got. And apparently one coherent story over all that time was too much to ask. 
I don't know. It's it's dark. It's depressing. I need something lighter and fluffier. Uh, and nothing gets lighter and fluffier than Kim Kardashian. So we'll be talking, checking in with her right after this. Hurry, folks. Step right up. Shoot a duck and win a jar of natural orange flavor tang. It's the new improved tang that tastes better than ever. Boy, I like instant tang. But I hate the idea of shooting a relative. Just shoot one little duck, duck, and get this big jar of tang. Tang? Goodbye, Auntie. You miss, but you can't miss with tang. And if you really want tang at its best, make up a pitcher full and cool it off in the refrigerator overnight. Great for breakfast or any tasty old time. Mmm. Just cuddle in some of that tang. Okay, Aunt Duck, hold still. Why, you miserable tangster? Now wait, I was just kidding. March. Step right up, folks. Get to rabbit and win a big jar of tang. It's a living drink tang, gang. It's tangerific. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And I realize I just promised you Kardashian news, but you know what? We need something even cheerier, happier, more life affirming. And what's more that? What, what fits that description more than babies? <laughs> A baby, baby making babies, but even then, babies themselves. And uh, Mickey, you were pointing out to me a little bit earlier. Um, is is you know baby parenting just just a bit too much for George Clooney these days? Well, I, I'm just trying to figure it all out. Uh, one of the things, you know, we're obviously very, very happy for George and Amal Clooney, who had their twins, um, I, I guess about a month ago. She gave birth to Ella and Alexander. Now, the one-month-old twins and their parents are literally globetrotting the world. So they're on the world tour now. <laughs> and first, I'd like to mention that Amal looks amazing for having just given birth to twins a month ago. It's crazy. But at the same time, it does make me kind of wonder what the deal is. They just had these babies a month ago. And now it's all about, you know, they're out. They went out for their very first date night, apparently, in Italy. Poor things. Yes. Hey, where, where are they raising the child? Um, well, there's been some discussion that they'll be raising the children in England. Mm, okay. Um, oh, wasn't he moving back to the yes, United States? Yes, he's coming back point? to L.A. because England's too dangerous. No way is he going to raise the children in England. Yes. So we'll see how this goes. Back in the fourth and the whatever. It's like Californians but, moving to Texas after they destroy California. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I know exactly what you're saying. I, well, I'm trying to obviously, you know, they live in England. They live in L.A. I'm not sure it really matters. The question I have for you, Jim, is I know that people love this type of celebrity gospel and whatnot. This is one that seems to fall a lot on deaf ears, though. People don't even bring it up in gossip sessions. Do people just not care? About the parenting choices of celebrities? And specifically the Clooney kids. Yeah, I think an interesting point that uh, Clooney really has kind of dropped off. I, I'm trying to when his last he, – he did the one where he was the – he did the Coen Brothers movie about Hollywood a few years ago. Has he, has he been doing – kind of slowed down a bit? I know it's been a while since there's been an Ocean's uh, sequel. Well, it's it's pretty much been like Clooney the I'm an activist slash, you know, I married really well. Mm. For the last couple of years. And I don't know if that's why I don't care about his kids so much or if it's just kind of, you know, another because I do care about Beyonce's twins. <laughs> well, they, they, isn't the whole world kind of because was, wasn't there a, a discussion that the, the, the genders or gen, gender or genders, depending on how things shake out, 
um, has it could, had been revealed, and this was like a state secret, and they were going to have to. I believe Robert Mueller now has to investigate that too. That's going to explain. I'm not sure. Like I said, in this particular case, you ended up with fraternal twins of a boy and a girl, Ella and Alexander. Um, and I, I, I just, like I said, I personally find it interesting that there's so much coverage being shared with where they go and what they do. And as, as Dave said, you know, whether they're moving from England to LA and I'm just not certain that I care all that much, but it is one of those things where it's like, okay, he was some guy who always said he wasn't going to get married. He wasn't going to have kids. Um, now he's married. Now he's a father. And does that take away from some of his mystique? Is that why people weren't all that interested? Mm, Or is that why I'm not all that interested? The unattainable bachelor. Yeah, that definitely was a big part of his image. And I think that uh, uh, on the one hand, I I feel a a, a molecule or two of sympathy uh, for George Clooney. Not a lot, but enough to say, look, I remember those, you know, first few months with my my son was born. Um, It is it is tiring. It is exhausting. Uh, there's no lack of advice in my case, some of the very finest 19 mid 1970s advice from both sets of parents, uh, both Isn't sets of grandparents. I should nannies, say. Though? I'm sorry. Isn't that why they have nannies though? Well, I mean, that's the, the other, you know, look, maybe they're actually very active in the, the raising of their children. If so, God bless them and more power to them. Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, can explain to everyone why they have nannies. Rule number one. This early on is actually not when I think they're most exhausting or most difficult. In fact, I do have memories of Mrs. Campaign Spot and myself uh, taking uh, our, our son when he was still in the little, pla- little carrier, uh, two bars, putting a little blanket over him. He would sleep and he would nap and we'd be able to have, have dinner and, and a few drinks. Um, this is, you know, this is Parenting 101. I don't think that chapter made it into heavy lifting available at fine bookstores everywhere. Um, <laughs> if you're the Clooney's, now all of a sudden, you're, every little decision you make, I'm sure, I, I'm sure there's at least 14 hot takes that have been made describing uh, how terrible they are as parents and how they shouldn't be going out and having them. Am I, am I correct? Well, the take seems to be, you know, split between the quote-unquote haters and the supporters of the idea of, you know, oh, look at them, they look great, good for them, sneaking out for a night, you know, to, oh, it's way too early for them to be leaving the house. Now, look, I, I don't think it's way too early for them to be leaving the house, but I am kind of curious if we're going to get a minute-by-minute update of these children's lives from start to finish. Now, because there are a lot of celebrities that have children and keep them out of the limelight. There is literally nothing about George Clooney that suggests that he won't do things that make it appear that he's trying to stay out of the limelight and at the same time pushing himself directly into it. That's the Hollywood shtick, isn't it? His his career is kind of fading, so he's he's desperate to stay relevant, so he's going to try to pretend to run away from the paparazzi and he slows down on purpose. Yeah, (laughs) you you definitely get the feeling that – even with their like you know super private wedding, their super private wedding that was in Italy, and they had to you know ship people in to this island to get it, which of course was completely covered in paparazzi. <laughs> of course, I have a theory about George Clooney. Don't give up on this theory. It sounds nutty at the start, but it tends to make more sense when you really take in the big picture. I think Carlos Danger and his wife Huma 
were the next big thing in Democrat politics in America because they were a blend of different people from different regions and different cultures, and they wanted to, to show that peace could be had and we could move forward you know, together, and they were a great symbol of that. I think George Clooney and his wife might be the next golden couple in Democrat politics, and he can't run for office while he lives in London. Interesting. I, I, was like, I, I wouldn't like, rule the, that out. I was like, the idea of like, there, there was a time, Dave. <laughs> Dave, you're not going to have some celebrity yeah, exactly. run for president. <laughs> <laughs> no, no major party is going to take somebody who's known for being on TV shows. Well, there you go again. Nominee. That person would never get elected. So, yeah, so there we are. I think uh, the Democrat this- bench is thin enough and they have few enough people to look to that they might be looking to him seriously. He's talked about it before. Well, and how yeah, hard is it going to be for him to win governorship of California? Not hard at all. Look, California is not going to elect some the name that you know. <laughs> the fun question will be to do kind of like the Kevin Bacon game, connecting Ronald Reagan, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and the next Hollywood star who ends up being governor of California. <laughs> um, now, for what it's worth, I, would point out, I, I haven't spoken to some folks on who handle the Sudan issue and various other issues who said that, uh, that, at least in their experience, Clooney was not – the classic empty-headed Hollywood star about it, that he actually took a genuine interest in it, tra- traveled there, um, and was much more knowledgeable and much more interested beyond a surface level uh, than most other ones. So maybe maybe he will, you know, jump into that kind of stuff. Um, my only expectation, my, my, your, your nagging fear, of course, is people say, of course he could fix the healthcare system. He was a doctor in the ER. <laughs> <laughs> I played one on TV. <laughs> Did you not see how he broke into the Bellagio? Right. He knows about law enforcement and crime, and, and he did a couple of espionated that spy movie and stuff. The, uh, the other things I imagine, I believe the, tra- the real trick of all medicine is to kind of bob your head as you argue with another, another uh, doctor. Look, Dr. Delamico, are you going to help me save this patient or not? Head bob, head bob, head bob. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, uh, I think it's a done deal. Clooney is now the governor of California. This, all you got to do is inaugurate him. Yeah, I agree. I, again, vote for Jeff Johnson, the name that you know. That is who we are right now. That is who we are as a people. And I have no reason to believe that he could not run for governor and win. Um, and once he does that, is there any reason he couldn't run for president? Really? Nope. No reason. Schwarzenegger wasn't born in America. That's the only reason he yep. didn't run for president. Yeah. And, you know, at least there, there was at least two scenes in the made-for-TV movie about Arnold Schwarzenegger that had him looking at the Constitution and trying to figure out how to change it and things like that. Yeah. So. Um, look, you know, there's, there's that. The other thing is, is that, you know, I, for whatever criticism you want to make about the Clooney's, they've had a child. Um, Mickey, I sent you a really disturbing uh, news story because, you know, the Twin Peaks discussion and, and American Gods isn't dark enough. Uh-huh. Um, I, I feel that apparently like, there, there's genuine concern about the young people of Japan. Uh, we've you know all kinds of weird jokes about their their bizarreness of their culture. They are uh, weird. Like I love certain Japanese things, but they, let's face it, their television shows are a little odd, and some of their choices are different. Yeah, and so the the gist of this one was we talked about the concern about underpopulation. Um, it was kind of fascinating is that nearly half of Japanese people entered their thirties without any sexual experience, um, which is not what you necessarily would have expected. Um, and what it's really kind of, you know, 43% of those aged 18 to 34 say they're virgins. Look, I, I you know, if you want to wait, I'm not going to be the, anyone to throw stones at that, but that does seem um, rather high to not have any type of serious relationship uh, into your 30s. Um, and, and the thing that really kind of got me was this, you know, uh, 
64% of people in the same age group are not in relationships. The claim is that men cannot be bothered to ask the opposite sex on dates because it is easier to watch internet porn. Now, gentlemen. <laughs> wow. Gentlemen, I, you know, I completely understand the appeal of images of attractive people, but trust me, three dimensions is better. <laughs> trust me. An actual person is really, really way better. It's, it's you know, it's the difference between... Uh, uh, watching the sport and playing the sport, so to speak. You want to get in the game if you catch my drift. That's and, no coincidence uh, that the Japanese are the ones leading the world in the manufacture of attractive female sex dolls. Yes, because apparently it's just too much of an inconvenience to have to ask out an actual real girl. They're afraid. They're geeks. They're nerds. They're afraid of women. That's well, the- apparently it's the entire population has just decided that women are not quite worth the hassle. What is that saying? <laughs> There were quite a few, uh, uh, you know, respondents in, in Western countries who were like, "Japanese ladies, if uh, if you're really lonely, give me a call." I, right. One I, would uh, think I, that one of those foreign dating services where you go to Japan and sign up Japanese women would be going really well, gangbusters right now. Uh, yeah, write really that down, Dave. Ideas. We've got a new idea. A new idea. There we go. Invest heavily. Excellent. Well, coming up, we are going to talk about um, someone else who may have a baby on the way and maybe a little bit of trouble as well. Kim Kardashian, as Jim had teased earlier. We're going to talk about her and one of our other favorites next. We're going to use an ordinary garden variety peach with its short, close fuzz and tender skin and a regular regimental hairbrush with its rough, tough bristles. To prove to you that the man-size Remington electric shaver will give you a close, comfortable shave. No matter how tender your skin, no matter how tough your beard. Look at this amazing demonstration. The Remington is so gentle that it can shave the short, close fuzz off a peach without harming its tender skin. And the Remington is so powerful that it can shave the bristles off a brush. Bristles tougher than any beard. Remember the amazing demonstration of the peach and brush. For the close, comfortable shave you've always wanted, reach for the Remington Electric Shaver. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. As promised, we are leading in with one of my favorite, I, I almost said characters, <laughs> My one of my favorite people from Hollywood, Kim Kardashian. Oh, like, well, she's a character, right? She's, yeah, right? She's more of a caricature, I think. And, um, and, and, and just to bring you up to speed on what's going on, earlier this week, uh, fans' rumors started flying around after some pictures showed up in a, a screenshot of one of Kim's Snapchat posts. It showed a table in the background covered in a suspicious-looking powder. Dear God, anthrax! <laughs> Save the Kardashians. <laughs> Um, and caught out with the cocaine um, were some of the things that some of the people um, tweeted out. And Kardashian, who famously doesn't drink, um, she immediately takes on Twitter and starts sharing her side of the story. And she said, you know, I do not play with rumors like this, so I'm going to shut it down real quick. This is from her Twitter account. That sugar from our candy mess. Um, Later on, in her story on chat on Snapchat, she put together another post, which she also shared on Twitter. So this is a big deal. She decided to like she was going to attack this one head on. Okay, you guys, I just got back to my hotel room and look at this table, same position. It's still there. I don't play like that. Oh come on, I have kids. That's just not my lifestyle, and I've never been like that. And she shows that it's a marble table, and the lines appear to be marble. 
And again, originally she said she thought it was candy. And so then it became a marble table. And yeah, so to say that the internet was not necessarily as receptive or supportive <laughs> is, is an understatement. The internet did what the internet does. She's kind of saying it wasn't cocaine because shut up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, gonna, um, go ahead, Jim. I'm going to play the unlikely role of Kim Kardashian defense attorney. Okay. Uh, because if there's any family that you think be well connected amongst defense attorneys, it would be the Kardashians. Um, but I, I'm going to cite the the noted expert uh, Chrissy Teigen, uh, model, <laughs> spokeswoman, etc., who, who asked the very strikes me as a very valid question: What kind of cokehead lines up the drugs and just doesn't do them? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I suppose if you're really OCD and or you have like really fantastic impulse control, fine. But then again, that's not really strongly attributed with cocaine users, right? <laughs> Correct. Correct. And again, I think it was, you know, it's one of those things where if you haven't seen it, you need to see it just because it's it's one of those things that it could be anything in the background. And I mean that it could just be the reflection of the marble table. Um, it could have been anything in those lines. What I can tell you is what it looked like. Yes. And more importantly, when Kim Kardashian sends out a message like that, like, you know, you and I send out dumb kind of throw off tweets or social media posts all the time. If you're Kim Kardashian, there's no such thing. Well, even in the subsequent pictures, I'm I'm looking and seeing them. Yes, it's a it's a, you know, two white smudges that are roughly parallel in the pattern of the, the, you know, mostly black marble. Um, having said that, you could very easily see how just a little bit of a uh, from a particular angle or something. Yeah, it looks an awful lot like two rows of cocaine that have been set up. And oh, by the way, let me do my let me do some pictures and you know make sure I get the cocaine in the background. Right. And more to the point, I think Kim Kim actually believe it or not has a very squeaky clean image when it comes to drugs and alcohol. She just does not participate. Let's, let's, let's underline. When it comes <clears throat> to drugs and alcohol. I did. And, and I, I felt like I needed to clarify that. But it's true. Um, she treats her body like a temple. And so I suspect Many that. Many worshippers coming and going. <laughs> um, I suspect that when she saw this, um, just what obviously we know of her personality through the shows and through her media appearances, I suspect that she was horrified that people would think that she did cocaine. You know, it's really kind of intriguing. It says something about uh, our culture today compared to, say, the 1980s or things like that, where that, you know, like to the Kardashians, that would be a genuine scandal, right? That yes. would be, you, you definitely can't be associated with something like that. Yes. Um, the infamous uh, uh, comments from, oh, the, the, uh, the bald woman, Kanye's ex. Amber Rose. Amber Rose. Amber Rose's tweet. Right. And then didn't it, you know, Kim Kardashian, Amber Rose then did this like joint photo shoot or, yes. fo- joint, you know, and it was kind of the like Kardashians almost always do a photo shoot with anyone that has gotten the media, even if it's bad. <laughs> OK, so but a sense of like, you know, when we discussed Kanye's uh, interests and proclivities and preferences, you know, that, you know, that we can forgive. But whoa, whoa, whoa. We can't have talk about that. We do cocaine. <laughs> 
this there's a very interesting line of what is considered scandalous uh, in the Kardashian family. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and they're very willing to take responsibility. I think that's one of the key things I find very yes. Responsibility is what people think of when they no, but they they kind of own their their poor behavior when they do something bad, and they've all done bad things. They all cut one, the individual has to own it, and then the family will immediately swoop in to support them owning it, and Chris will figure out a way to, for them to make money off of it. Yeah, that's, that's the, that, that third step there, so it kind of adds to the cynicism there. But yes, but in this case, I think it's safe to say no, you know, that, that for whatever her other flaws, no, she does not appear to have uh, uh, partaken of cocaine. Um, but interesting, it, it also very interesting, there, there's such a need to. Um, put this fire out uh, in a culture where, you know, where some might say anything goes or there's a perception that, that you know, Hollywood is that people are untouchable. People forget, um, though, that she is a wife, a mother, um, obviously a daughter, but she's also CEO of, you know, several multi-million dollar companies. And so her public image, while crafted, maybe not to necessarily everyone's liking, it is well crafted and maintained. And being drug free is a big, huge part of that. Yeah, Mickey, do you think possibly what was going through Kim Kardashian's mind at that moment was, "Oh dear God, I don't want people thinking that I'm troubled and crazy and and completely messed up like Gwyneth Paltrow." <laughs> yes, yes. You know, speaking of Gwyneth Paltrow, this is a spoiler alert for anyone who has not seen Spider Man. So, uh, if you if you haven't seen it and you're worried about spoilers, fast forward to the music during the commercial break. It'll be about a minute or two. Okay, three, two, one, bang. All right, so Gwyneth Paltrow is in the Spider-Man movie. Uh, she plays Pepper Potts. Tony and Stark and Pepper Potts are back together, it seems. And uh, in, addition to, in addition to being a kind of a happy turn of events for, for Iron Man, uh, I don't know about you, Mickey, this really seems to me like the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe is attempting to stage an intervention <laughs> on Gwyneth Paltrow and our favorite goop-promoting superstar actress god bless them if that's the case because we need someone to keep her busy there you go yeah so look that's uh uh utterly uh bizarre bit of that uh that we i was watching um good to see that Gwyneth Paltrow is getting her you know uh getting work again at least uh Mickey will share you about her favorite discovery right after this you probably know the person who reaches for the phone and never reaches for the phone book that's a waste of phone books and a waste of money Every day, 13,000 of your telephone dollars go into paying operators to look up 185,000 numbers already listed in your directory. Before you reach for the phone instead of the phone book, stop and think about it. If you honestly need a number and can't find it listed, call us. That's why we're here. But please, look in the book first. Look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp and listen, mister, how are you fixed for blades? Get the beer. Don't fool around. Get the best name in the business. Oh, old Milwaukee beer. It tastes as great as its name. 
Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And you know, if you've ever thought of what adjectives could well describe Mickey, uh, charming, delightful, enjoyable, <laughs> full of energy and life, um, occasionally forgetful when it comes to the Trivial Tuesday contest. <laughs> Interrupting. Uh, um, where was I going with this? No, no, okay. I was wondering if the, I was wondering if the adjective defiant would, aspi- would uh, apply to Mickey uh, because she apparently has decided that HBO's The Defiant Ones, is it safe to say, Mickey, this is now your new favorite show? Absolutely, without a doubt. Um, it, it, it was actually turned to me this week, uh, and I don't know how I missed it. I feel really kind of lame for having missed it up until this point, but Big Head Sports, um, formerly Peyton's Head, is a great friend on Twitter and shared that he was watching it. It's an HBO series. It's a documentary that was filmed over three years and it focuses on the life, <clears throat> excuse me, the life and friendship of Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovi. And it Who is, is that second person. I'm familiar, for most people are probably familiar with Dr. Dre, but I've not heard that second name. Yes. Jimmy Iovine is the guy. He was he's a producer. He's a music producer. He worked with Dr. Dre um, starting at Interscope when Dr. Dre was with Death Row. And it gets into the music business side of it. But Jimmy actually started in the early 70s. He worked with Bruce Springsteen. He worked with Patti Smythe. <clears throat> He worked with Tom Petty. Um, we find out in the second episode that he dated Stevie Nicks briefly. So lived a fascinating life. But he was a kid who was born um, in Brooklyn, and I believe. His dad was a dock worker. And, you know, he really worked his way up from nothing in the music industry to end up being partners with Dr. Dre and partners with him when they sold Beats to Apple for three point whatever billion dollars and so this, is kind of a, a, this is like the ultimate behind the music episode oh absolutely and it gives a great deal of detail into each of their individual lives and then the people that they cross paths with and what's beautiful about this documentary is they have a lot of footage mm-hmm. because a lot of these studio recordings were filmed back in the day as they still are and so they were able to access those and put them into the series so you actually get to see him hanging out with Tom Petty and Stevie Nicks and you get to see the early footage of Dr. Dre the very first time that he mixed two beats together. They actually have that on video. It was crazy to sit there and watch it. What are you learning about the music industry that you didn't know or, or that surprised you uh, before you compared to when you performed that? Three, two, one. Mickey, what is surprising you as you watch this series? I think one of the most fascinating parts of this series is at the very beginning they're interviewing, you know, their friends and whatever, and they lead back to those interviews kind of as a documentary does. And one of the things that Dr. Dre says early on is that we were both really lucky. And um, it really reminded me of something that an old sales manager once told me, which was you put yourself in a position to get lucky. Mm. And I think that those two themes are very consistent throughout the show. You see people that are driven, they're talented. Um, Jimmy is a person who clearly will work harder and longer if he thinks that's what needs to be done to make sure that it happens. And people who are are not afraid to take risks. I mean, these people took huge risks with their lives um, to advance their career and ultimately the impact that they've had on our culture. And it's just amazing when you watch this. And of course... I think probably the most surprising thing was realizing just how many songs the two of them were actually behind. Hmm. 
as writers, you mean, or producers, or, or as kinda... writers, producers, uh, mostly as producers, but in the in the sense of like these two men are responsible for a great deal of the music that would be considered the soundtrack of our lives. Hmm. There you go. And this is uh, HBO. You said yes. It's on HBO. It's on demand. Um, and I think there's four episodes on demand right now. So there's still a couple more to go. But it's it's just fascinating if you are a lover of music, if you're a lover of documentaries. If you're someone who likes to see the American dream um, happen in real time, this is something you might want to check out. I'm glad to hear that and to think to do all that and still have time to go to med school. Uh, and oh, oh, real quick, though, keep in mind that we are still talking about Dr. Dre. And so uh, the language warning, it's not for the kids. <laughs> Got it. Kind of, kind of. It's on that. HBO for a reason. Let's put there it that go. way. Excellent. Well, so I do encourage you all to check that out. I will try to be better about the Trivial Tuesdays. Thank you for sticking with us um, as we've been kind of taking some weeks off here over the summer and regrouping. You're going to see more of us coming back together in a regular pattern in the next couple weeks. You can always listen to all of our previous episodes at soundcloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. Look us up on Twitter at Jim and Mickey or, of course, at Jim Garrity. And I am at Bias Girl. I am Mickey White. He is Jim Garrity. The guy behind the board is Big Dave Perkins. And you've been listening to the one and only Jim and Mickey show. We'll be back next week.
talking about your pigtails I was talking about your sex appeal I got the road and the bar What's my number? I wonder how you're in giant Scoop down the road What's my number? I wonder how you're Electric fence.